Good morning. Don't you just love the organized chaos of children's choir and children's time? In the church world, in liturgical seasons, we are still in the season of Easter. In regular seasons, we are deep into the season of spring. And as Tom Boswell, who covered baseball for the Washington Post for nearly half a century, famously said, opening day is when time begins. He said time to shake off winter, time when everyone is in first place. The baseball season is the harbinger of hot days to come, unfolding over the long summer with its climax just before the fall colors. For us, spring brings green sprouts and fragrant flowers and everyone's new favorite game of is it allergies or COVID? <laughs> it's allergies, it's definitely just allergies. It goes without saying that things change and the seasons remind us of that. All of life is alive and that means birth and growth and death and seasons and shifts and cycles and change. We constantly go through change and sometimes we love it and sometimes we dig our heels in and complain. Sometimes change is exciting and sometimes it's stressful and sometimes it's terrifying and sometimes it is just so, so sad. The end of the school year is approaching, and in just a few weeks, our second graders will be third graders, and our preschoolers will be kindergartners, and our eighth graders will be high school. Some changes are barely perceptible, and then some are earth-shaking. Some shifts come with a change in how we even understand ourselves, our identity. We might move to a new town or a new school or a new situation, and we are confronted with telling the story of who we are to new people. We understand ourselves in positions to our families, in relation to parents and partners and siblings and children. And if you become a parent for the first time or a grandparent for the first time or get married or divorced or a spouse dies, or you earn an advanced degree or take on a new job, all of that comes with new titles and new understandings of who we are. Mother, father, husband, widow, doctor, director. Take a pause, take a deep breath. What are three things you think of yourself as? And then turn to your neighbor real quick and tell them one, I am a Wait, do it. What are you? Who are you? I heard I'm an acolyte and I'm a pastor right behind me. Okay, so okay, okay. So it definitely sounds like we know who we are. We have a lot to say about ourselves. I I said just one thing. How we understand ourselves is often in relation to others. I am this and you are that. Or in time, in the past or future, I used to be, I am now, I hope to be. In relation to geography, I am from, I live now, I hope to go to. 
in relation to things like jobs or you're in school, I'm a kindergartner or I'm an attorney, in relation to things like our names, our nicknames, our full names, our pronouns, and in relation to God. I am made in God's image. You are made in God's image. We are children of God. The full diversity of all that humanity is and all that we understand ourselves to be flourishing in this full identity of the divine. And the full diversity of all that humanity is, is celebrated, affirmed. We see different shifts in identity for people throughout the stories of scripture. Abraham encounters God, and then they become the people who worshiped the God of Abraham, the chosen people, people of the covenant. After freedom from slavery and oppression under Pharaoh in Egypt, they became a people liberated by God. They understood themselves in relationship to God as God's chosen, but also in relationship to with each other, identifying by things like tribe and lineage the tribe of Benjamin, the tribe of Levi, son of Solomon, daughter of Miriam. When Jesus comes onto the scene, he bears these same identifiers. He is from the lineage of David. He is a son of Joseph, branch from Jesse's tree. And when people began to follow him, especially in the decades right after the resurrection, they had to wrestle with both who Jesus was and is and who they now were. They were no longer quite Jewish people, though some had been and they still kind of sort of were. They were not quite Gentile, though some of them also were. They were something different. The author of our passage today mentions that Jesus is a living stone, and he invites listeners to live like living stones as well. Now, rocks might seem a little unusual here, boring even. I mean, being dumb like a rock is a bad thing, but being strong like a rock is a good thing. Rocks are sturdy, foundational. Cornerstones are super important to make sure the rest of the building has proper angles and then will last. Jesus told the Apostle Peter, you are the cornerstone that I will build my church upon. This is strong, steady language for a people who were living under threat and persecution. A people no doubt wondering what this life of following Jesus was all about and why it was so fraught with threat and danger and death. Speaking value and worth into people living as strangers and outcasts, figuring out what it means to follow Jesus. Come to the living stone, be like living stones, rejected yet chosen to build a spiritual house. Peter appropriates more language from the Hebrew scriptures to interpret the story of the people of Israel alongside the story of Jesus and alongside the story of the followers of Jesus as well, linking them in a way throughout history and culture and tradition that draws a line to us as well. We hear echoes of Hebrew scripture in phrases like a chosen race and a royal priesthood and a holy nation and God's people. 
These references are interwoven, and like an Avengers movie or Star Wars, if, if you want to understand this passage, you need to read a few other passages too. In this instance, things like the Psalms and Hosea and Isaiah. These links ground the identity of this community in formation to communities from the past. Because their identity, like our identity, does not exist in a vacuum independent of time and space. All other identities and understandings have come before. Even Jesus' identity is rooted in his lineage. This is why the Gospel of Matthew begins with the listing of generations. The 14 generations from Abraham to David, the 14 generations from David to the exile, the 14 generations from the exile to Jesus, where we find Jacob, the father of Joseph, husband of Mary. Our understanding of what it means to be a Christ follower depends on the generations before us. Peter dismisses the usual forms of human distinctions like genealogy or gender and, and gives us divine ones instead letting us know that no matter how we categorize ourselves or how we might denigrate others on our differences, what matters is how God chooses to see us by God's grace and mercy. But to be clear, how we understand ourselves, how we identify the language that we use to tell the story of who we are is important not just to tolerate or even to fully include, but to also celebrate each human being as an individual. The great diversity of humanity, of ethnicity and gender and relationships and identity. Yesterday we had a called annual conference. We've had several of these this year to deal with United Methodist churches in the Virginia conference that are seeking to disaffiliate from the denomination. We met by Zoom and we approved 64 churches to leave our conference, which brings our total up to 107 so far out of about 1,000. This represents about two to 3% of the people called Methodists in Virginia. And our presiding bishop for this session was retired Bishop Pete Weaver. And he ended our session with a broken loaf of bread. And he held it up and he said, broken bread, broken body. And he didn't offer us any sense of false unity, and he didn't code it in hope. He ended that session with our broken identity. Because the churches that are choosing to leave are reminding us that our United Methodist Church as a body is broken and fractured. The churches are, that are leaving are led by people who couldn't handle that full diverse expression of humanity in the fear that one day a pastor appointed to them might be queer or that pastors anywhere in the denomination might officiate same-gender weddings. And as sad as it is, as much as we grieve to watch these people and these churches leave, there's a quiet part that isn't named nearly as often. 
the brokenness of the decades of loss of people who have been excluded and pushed out and turned away and rejected. We mourn the church members who have left, the pastors who have stepped down, or those who never fully responded to their call to ministry in the first place because they grew rightfully weary of having their humanity and worth up for debate and discussion. To people of every time and place who have had their basic humanity questioned, God gives the absolute identity of value and worth. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. God shaped us, formed us together into community with all of humanity, with all of our beautiful diversity. And we are a new community in Jesus, rooted in the past but flourishing in the future, grounded in mutual love and holiness of life and shared stories, building into a hopeful new life within the saving mercy of God. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Hear that reassurance again. Once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. May it be so.